1: Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentanka will bring us the first portion of the Ten Virgins and the Midnight Cry here on the program today. And we appreciate you listening. You may already know that due to our time constraints, we are not always able to bring you the complete message at one sitting, but you are always able to go to reachingyourheart.com and there on the main page, you'll see the broadcast schedule. This message in its entirety, as well as any of the other broadcasts you hear are available there for you to download or listen to. Let's get underway with the first portion to the 10 virgins in the midnight cry. Here now is Pastor Michael Tenko.
2: Father, it's not about any one of us here. It's about the future. We look for the light at the end of the day. That is the Son of Righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you believe Jesus is coming? Raise your hand. Do you really believe it enough to order your life perfectly for that day? That is the question I ask you. You see, in Luke 19, 11, 12, Jesus told us that his second coming would follow events that would transpire in a far-off country in heaven itself in luke nineteen eleven, 11 as they heard these things it says he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to jerusalem and because they supposed that the king of god was to appear immediately how many times in our life have we prayed that god would just bring jesus back to earth right now And they wanted the end to begin right there in that day. And so they supposed that when he was going to Jerusalem, they did not realize he was getting ready to be crucified, even though he had said so. They thought he would set up a kingdom and that eternity would start in a few days. But Christ told them that is not the way it is. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive a kingdom and then return. In ancient times, a bridegroom left his bride at her house as he went to his father's house to marry her. It sounds real romantic, doesn't it? You leave your bride at her home. You go to your father's house. There you get married. She's not there. And then you come back to the bride's house. And then in triumphal procession, the bridal party moves to the father's house where you were married without your bride. And there is the marriage supper. And in that simple marriage ceremony... We have, in ancient times, a picture of exactly how it works for the second coming of Christ. Christ went into a far-off country to receive His kingdom in an end-time judgment in heaven. And when that is over, He returns to receive His bride. He then takes her to His Father's house, and we, triumphal procession, will come into the presence of God at the end of the age for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Friend, Jesus is coming. He is coming very soon. And in the parable of the ten virgins, we have an illustration and a warning for the Christian church on the eve of the advent of his soon return. As Christ is receiving his kingdom in heaven, we have in this parable a clear lesson that we are to prepare for his coming right here on earth. His people are to be ready for the midnight cry when it sounds at the end of time. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 25 verse 1. The Bible says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be compared to ten maidens or virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. This is a passage that is loaded with meaning. The text says they went to meet the bridegroom. In ancient times, you were to wait for the bridegroom to come. This group here didn't wait. The Greek says literally they came out to meet the bridegroom. The Greek text uses an aorist verb that indicates a point in time is in play here. They left decisively at some point in history to begin their journey to meet the bridegroom as he would return. The text does not indicate that they came out gradually. It says they did so suddenly. And what we have here is a very clear description, the parable, what transpired in the 19th century, in the great Advent awakening. As William Miller preached the advent of Christ, the first and second angels' messages, as the message of 1844 was heard across this land and around the world, men and women around the world separated from churches that did not want to follow Christ, that did not want to obey His Ten Commandment law, and these individuals formed what history has called the Great Advent Movement. They left those bodies that had been historic Christian bodies to form a new alliance of faith based on Scripture to prepare the world for the second coming of Jesus. And so we find that these ten virgins left early to meet the bridegroom. In the context, the virgins are called a called-out kind of people. They represent people who are expecting the coming of Jesus enough to come out and be different for that coming. In ancient times, the bridegroom came for the bride and the whole wedding party, The ten virgins are eager to meet the bridegroom. They're not trying to avoid His coming. They want Him to come. In this sense, they're Adventists. They represent a group of people who are actively engaged in preparing the world for the coming of Christ. In fact, they are the first in the parable to act upon the belief that the bride is coming soon. In the parable, they are called virgins. The figure of a virgin is used in the Bible to describe a pure and faithful people who follow God. Turn to Isaiah 62 verse 5 with me. The Bible says, For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, what does the text say? So your God will rejoice over you. As virgins, they profess a pure faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, they don't want this watered-down theology, this watered-down Christianity that is not true to the Bible. They profess a pure faith in Jesus. That means they are biblical, Christ-centered believers. In Revelation 14.4, we have a picture of that group at the end that successfully resists the challenge of the mark of the beast. They are pictured as being virgins. Look what it says. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins... These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These are redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and the Lamb. So if you want to be a spiritual virgin, you have to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. In the parable, there are ten virgins. Now, the choice of the number ten is deliberate here. What does the number ten mean in the Bible? What is it famous for? All right, the Ten Commandments, exactly. Exactly. So as a body of believers, there are ten virgins because they believe in the ten commandment law of God. I mean, there are many Christians today who believe that the law of God was nailed to the cross, that there are no ten commandments anymore, that we only have two, the law of love for God and the law of love for fellow man. And that may sound nice, but when you try to define what love for God means and what love for your fellow human being means, if you don't have the ten commandments, you can't get there. The Ten Commandments are a summary of the two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And love your neighbors yourself. And so there are ten virgins because they represent a commandment-keeping people that have left the body of Christianity as a whole, that is disobedient to God, that is actively engaged to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. As most Christians in the world set aside one or more of these Ten Commandments, the ten virgins do not do this. They are ten virgins, not nine or eight or six. Matthew twenty five, two. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. For those who are faithful to Jesus Christ, in Revelation fourteen four, the Bible says they're called virgins. The virgins of Revelation 14.4 are those who endure the mark of the beast challenge in Revelation 14.9-11. through 11, They help proclaim the third angel's message, that special warning for the world. And how do they remain pure in the midst of an impure world? The Bible indicates that they have the faith of Jesus and they keep the commandments of God. These two vital principles. Revelation 14.12. Now when God calls you, what does He do? He tries to wake you up And he tries to bring you close to him in truth. Here is a call for what? Here are the two principles that will prepare God's people for the coming of Christ. Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, which means you need to hang in there, not give up. Those who do what? Keep the commandments of God. So should we set aside the Ten Commandments? No. But then it says they also have the faith of Jesus. You see, you can try to keep God's law, but if you don't have Jesus, it doesn't mean anything. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And because He forgives you, because He accepts you through His blood, He gives you the Holy Spirit so you can obey Him by faith. And be it though your faith is imperfect and your obedience is imperfect, it is still obedience because it is your heart's desire to follow God. And so that final generation represented as virgins will keep the commandments of God and they will have the faith of Jesus, law and gospel, without any contradiction at all. Friend, those who love Christ are ten virgins, not nine or eight. They are an obedient, commandment-keeping people. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In Matthew 25, 1, it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. It's clear in the parable that the ten virgins are messengers of light in a dark night. They carry lamps as light in the night. They have taken steps to find the bridegroom in the midst of a dark night. They have left bodies that do not want to obey so they can progress forward in the plan of God. They have come out so they can go on to meet the bridegroom. In the parable, they are trying to find the bridegroom before he comes for them. They went to meet him instead of just staying in the house. The virgins in the parable represent premillennial Christians who keep the Ten Commandments and who are seeking the second coming of Jesus Christ. So it's not talking about the general body of Christianity everywhere. It's talking about Advent Christians who obey the law of God, who have faith in Jesus Christ, who are actively engaged in prophetic truth to prepare the world for the coming of Christ. The text says in verse 2, five were foolish and five were wise. The Greek says literally five were morons and five were prudent. The Greek word phronimos occurs 7 times. It's the word used for wise. It occurs 7 times in the gospel of Matthew because wisdom is perfect. Matthew 7:24 is an example. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, what does the text say? will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So what makes a person wise? It's when they hear the words of God. They go to the Bible, they don't run from its truth. They accept it. And then they live it out. They apply its principles in their life and they don't run from it. That's what makes a person wise. Now, I need to add the qualification. As you are striving to follow God's word, you may find that you stumble and fall on occasion. Has that ever happened to anyone here? You know, the bottom line is is that as you follow God and you grow in obedience, God is not looking at how perfect you are in your growth pattern. He's looking at how diligent you are to remain in the growth pattern a growth curve can have ups and downs but as long as you're moving with christ you're moving up if you sever from christ you're not moving anywhere you're paralyzed and so obedience ultimately is following the lamb wherever he goes and listening to his words In the gospel of matthew christians are wise if they do what jesus tells them to do if they follow him in fact, they are wise that they build their lives upon the teachings of Jesus. The words of Jesus is the rock upon which the house must be built. In the parable of the ten virgins, the five wise are wise because they have oil in earthen flasks in addition to the supply in the lamp. Matthew 25, 3. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Verse 4. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. So they didn't just have the lamp with oil. They had a flask on their side that was a supply of oil for the lamp. If we try to have power and light in our life without having the word of God, we don't go anywhere. And so the parable is not telling you to do something on your own. It's admonishing you to find strength where you can't get it in Christ so the figure of oil in the Bible represents the Holy Spirit, the power of God in our lives, which comes through the Word, through relationship with Christ. First Samuel sixteen thirteen, the Bible says Samuel took the horn of oil, he anointed him in the midst of his brothers, that's David, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. In Matthew seven twenty four, Jesus taught that the wise are those who build their lives on the words and teachings of Jesus. In Acts 5.29, Peter told the religious leaders that God gives His Spirit to those who obey Him and submit to the gospel of repentance. Acts 5.31 and 32. God exalted Him, Jesus, at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Verse 32. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. So the Lord is not going to give you the Holy Spirit if you have not committed your life to obedience to Jesus Christ. And you do that by accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. The five foolish virgins stored up the words of Jesus in their flasks. They built their life around the apostolic gospel of his acceptance and forgiveness. They lived out the teachings of Jesus. And when you have the word of Jesus in your flask, you have the Holy Spirit in your flask. Your lamp will not go out. The Greek word for flask is the same word found in the Greek Old Testament for the flask that held the oil for the candlestick in the sacred sanctuary. In Numbers four nine, it says, And they shall take a cloth of blue and cover the lampstand for the light with its lamps, its snuffers, its trays, and all the vessels for oil with which it is supplied. The vessels supplied the Holy Spirit oil for the light inside the sanctuary. The oil represented the Spirit of God that illumines the table of showbread, which represents the Word of God. And the Greek word indicates that the vessels were earthen vessels, not gold vessels, but earthen vessels. Earthen vessels represent people who allow God to shape and form their life. It represents the clay of this world that God forms into the special stuff of eternity. In Lamentations 4, 2, it says, The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are reckoned as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, Paul writes, For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And then he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. I mean, God works with some pretty ordinary folk in this world. He works with people who don't look like superstars. He works with people who have made mistakes, who have come from bad backgrounds. He works with people who have had tragedy in their life, who have sinned against Him, but have come to the foot of the cross and laid it down right there. And He takes the earthen vessel and He gives the Holy Spirit to them, And as he works in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, the transcendent glory of Christ manifest in that which seems altogether ordinary. That is what God desires to do in the gospel. The light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ is the treasure that is found in earthen vessels. The oil of the Holy Spirit gives you light when you treasure Jesus Christ and his word. Christ's light becomes light in you. Recently, science has had some major breakthroughs. They have genetically modified a dog to glow in the dark. How would you like that? Our dog, Smokey, does not glow in the dark. I wish he did. He runs away. He ran away this week. He was gone all night. A neighbor found him, finally called us. If he had glowed in the dark, maybe I could have chased him through the woods or something. They've done this for pigs and even a little kitty cat, glow-in-the-dark animals. Sooner or later, they're going to do this to a human being, I'm afraid. I mean, they're playing around with genes on a scale that's not very impressive. It's scary. What makes an animal glow in the dark is that its genes have been modified. So it has the chemicals for bioluminescence that makes this happen. Friend, when you accept Christ, something happens in your life. You're internally modified, The Holy Spirit comes into the earthen vessel. And you glow in the dark because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. It's not you glowing, it's Christ glowing in you. So the wise virgins made it their business to store up the words of Jesus Christ and to spend time with Jesus Christ in the Word. I mean, we're living in a time when too many Christians have got this idea that they don't need to be studying their Bibles. I mean, they come to church and they bring a book on philosophy. They bring some book of a Christian author, but they don't bring their Bibles. Friend, God has given us the Word of God so we can study it, so we can know it. It doesn't mean you're a theologian or anything, but when you dig into the Word of God and you apply its principles to your life, the Word of God brings Christ into your life and you begin to glow. You should bring your Bible, mark your Bible. I use highlighting techniques. You should live on every word of your Bible. You should use your Bible as entertainment. Come to prayer meeting for entertainment. Make the Word of God and fellowship around it your life. Do not miss the Sabbath school study early before the church service because it's a focus upon the Word of God and the fellowship with other believers. And we're living in a time when so many Christians do not want to bother to be Bible-believing Christians. To glow in the dark, you must have the Word of God. You must have the light of Jesus in you. So the wise virgins made it their business to store up the words of the Bible. The foolish virgins didn't bother bringing flasks. The parable indicates that they didn't bother from the very beginning. Only the five wise took flasks with oil to meet the darkness of the night. In the parable, the bridegroom was delayed. And we know that when the great Advent awakening occurred in the 1800s, they thought Christ was coming right back then. But there has been a delay. We have moved two centuries into the future. And if we look at the time in between, it's been the worst history of the world. Global wars, confusion, economic chaos, millions of lives lost in terrible conflicts. And yet the bridegroom has been delayed. In the parable, the bridegroom was delayed just as we have realized in history. In Matthew 25, 5, it says, But while the bridegroom was delayed, look what it says, They all slumbered and slept. It doesn't say five of them did. It says they all did. Now, two words are used for the lethargy of the night. The word for slumber is nystadzo in Greek, and it means to nod off to sleep. Kind of nod. It means to become drowsy. You're trying to stay awake, but you can't. So you're kind of nodding off, but you're trying to stay awake. The word for sleep is kathudo, and in the Greek it means a deep sleep. I would like to propose to you that five of them were nodding off, And five of them fell into a deep sleep because they were not trying to stay awake. They were all affected by the night. But the attitude of five was different from the attitude of the other five. Why? Because when you're trying to have enough oil to stay awake, you're only nodding off. The Bible teaches that God has a way of coming into your night to save you. You Maybe you're hearing me and you're saying, Pastor Mike, you know, right now things are dark in my life. I don't know how to deal with the stuff that's been thrown at me this year. I had a health challenge that was like crazy. I had economic struggles. I lost my job or my house has had to be refinanced so many times. I don't know what to do. I mean, it's dark right now for me. Friend, there's a reason why Jesus is the light of the world. Christ is the light of the world because it's his business to come into the darkness of your night and make your life glow. He is not content to leave you there. And so when the bridegroom comes, it's a call to light, not a call to night. It comes in the darkness of the midnight hour, of verse history, but it's a call to the future. The parable affirms that the gospel, the call of the midnight cry, is a call of mercy that breaks the power of the darkness for sincere Christians who are trying to stay awake even though they haven't. Even the wives are not fully ready until the midnight cry calls them into action. And their preparation, imperfect though it was, it was still there. They had prepared by spending time in the Word of God. And they are called into action. It's no accident that God chose to deliver the children of Israel at midnight. In Exodus 11, 4-6, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go forth in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits upon his throne, even to the firstborn of the maidservant who is behind the meal, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever shall be again. It was the midnight cry. The exodus from Egypt followed the midnight cry. And notice the words of the parable in Matthew 25, 6. And at midnight a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go ye out to meet him. The angels came to Lot in the night and called him out of Sodom. The midnight cry in Egypt was part of God's calling out of Egypt at Passover. The kingdom of Babylon fell in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament in the middle of a night feast when they were celebrating to their gods and profaning the vessels of God. It was dark at night when Babylon fell. And the Bible teaches us that the last call for his people is the midnight cry. In the book of Revelation, the plague of darkness falls on the kingdom of the beast in the fifth plague. And just after the darkness falls, it becomes midnight for the Christian world that has rejected Jesus. In the sixth plague, there is a midnight cry to wake up sincere Christians just before Jesus returns. It parallels the cry in the parable of the ten virgins.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of the Ten Virgins and the Midnight Cry. We will complete this message tomorrow, and we hope that you will join us then. If you look under the broadcast schedule, you'll see this and many more messages available for you to download. If you would like, you can also stream there live on the website, reachingyourheart.com. Please also consider a financial contribution. You can donate online at reachingyourheart.com com, Or you can send your contribution to Reaching Hearts International, 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Keep that address in mind. That is also the address for the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. And we hope to see you this Saturday. For Pastor Michael Tanko and everyone here, Please also know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.